what a great song with uh, some great words, you know, desperate in a place uh, where only love could make a way. Uh, uh, you know, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, we're talking about Jesus Christ, our hero. It's Easter, and uh, we're celebrating today that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and he is alive today, and again, he's our hero. And thanks to Cameron for the band. Uh, they, they wrote that song. They put that song together for this series, so will you join me in giving them another hand? Thanks, guys. Hey, think, uh, think on this for a moment with me, if you would. Um, suppose for a second, just kind of use your imagination, that um, you're in a bind, all right? You find yourself trapped uh, in a really difficult place, and you're in need of the assistance of one superhero, all right? I mean, if you had to call on one superhero in any moment uh, to get you out of a bind, let's say that you're trapped in a school bus that is dangling over the edge of a bridge. Uh, you just happen to be out on the ledge of a 50-story wind, uh, a building and you slipped or something. Or, or maybe something like this. I, watch this. I don't know if any of you saw this this past week. I caught this on the news. Did anybody see this? Watch this. This, this happened in Norway this past week. This is not good, all right? This, this. All right, there, there's good news and there's bad news about this. The good news is that nobody was killed, all right? There, there were some injuries, but everybody survived. The bad news is that their car insurance is going way up, all right? I mean, you know, his, everything is changing for them. But, but suppose a situation like that, any situation, if you had to call on the assistance of one superhero, which superhero would you choose? Uh, how many of you would say Batman? Any people you maybe call on Batman, uh, maybe uh, Superman? We, got some, we were talking about this in back. Maybe, some, maybe you'd call Superman uh, the Incredible Hulk. Anybody go there? Go and think Wonder Woman? Anybody go as far as Wonder Woman or anything? Uh, you know, any, anybody else? You know, uh, just, just kind of be honest. Ladies, you know, be real honest. I mean, would it be so much about choosing Thor or Iron Man or more about Chris Hemsworth or Robert Downey Jr.? I mean, I mean, is that really what it would come down to? Well, it, well here's what we were talking about. We were talking about this about back, uh, out and back just a few minutes ago. Um, I'm going classic Superman, all right? If I got a call on the assistance of one superhero uh, in any moment of needing some help, I, I'm going to go with Superman. As I mentioned last week, uh, Superman was the very first movie that I ever saw as a kid, and so I think he's the superhero that I appreciate the most. And, and we all know about Superman's uh, superhero powers, right? I mean, he's faster than a speeding bullet, all right? He, uh, what, what, what is he? He's more powerful than a locomotive, all right? He, he can leap tall buildings. He's got only one weakness, which is kryptonite, all right? We all know that. But do you know the story? behind the creation of Superman. And, and I really think this is fascinating. Uh, you know, past accounts have suggested that Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster created Superman back in the 1930s as a way to impress girls. Now, I wonder how that worked out for them. I'm, I'm guessing not so well. But according to a recent USA Today story I was reading, some now believe that the story of Superman was actually born through a little-known tragedy that happened on a street in Cleveland. The backstory is this, that according to police reports, on June 2nd, 1932, Jerry Siegel's father, who owned a Cleveland clothing store, was killed during a robbery. And though Siegel never again brought up or mentioned his father's death in 50 years of interviews about the story of Superman, it was just a few weeks after his dad had died that he and his friend created the character that we call Superman today. 
And in one of the oldest sketches of Superman, Superman rushes to the rescue of a man who is being held up at gunpoint by a masked robber. Now, you don't have to be a genius to connect the dots here, all right, to put this story together. I mean, your dad dies in a robbery, and you invent a bulletproof man of steel, you know, who can come along at any time to rescue the day. I mean, a boy from Cleveland needs a hero, and he invents someone to help him overcome fear and to overcome death. I mean, just... Just hold on to that, all right? Hold on to that if you would. Now, uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them and open them, if you would, to Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, that's okay. We'll have the verses for you on the screen. Uh, We'd love to give you the gift of a Bible. If you don't have one and like to take one with you today, we've got some of those back at our Info Hub. So on your way out the door today, just stop by the Info Hub and pick one up for yourself. Again, no strings attached. Uh, You can take that with you. But we're going to look at Luke 24, 13. Uh, It was Easter Sunday. It was the very first Easter Sunday. And what takes place here is one of the most eye-opening stories uh, in all of the Bible. In Luke chapter 24, uh, picking up at verse 13, here's what it says. It says, Now that same day... Two of them were going uh, to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I'll just stop there for a second. This is a totally green community, all right? The community of, of Jerusalem. I mean, there's no buses, there's no automobiles. I mean, this is old-fashioned, two people walking together. And having left Jerusalem, they are now uh, heading to the north. The village of Emmaus was about seven miles northwest uh, of the city. Now, back to verse 14. It says, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, who's talking? Well, we know from the first verse that there's two of them. There's two of them that are talking. And as we'll see in just a moment, there's a fellow by the name of Cleopas. All right, his parents obviously didn't like him. And, and he's with a friend, all right, maybe, maybe his wife. And, and they're walking and they're talking, as verse 14 says here, about everything that had happened. Now, what's that? Well, it's the events in the final week, the last week of Jesus' life. I mean, Jesus had been teaching for over a little, a little over three years up until this final week. And during this last week, uh, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem uh, by donkey on Palm Sunday. He was arrested. He was tried. He was sentenced. He, w- he was tortured. He was crucified. He was killed. Uh, he was buried. And it's now been three days since he was executed on the cross. Verse 15. It says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Now, they discussed these things, these two, because they were witnesses of the fact. I mean, they saw it all. I mean, they they might have been a part of the welcoming parade that welcomed Jesus as he came into town on that Palm Sunday. Even been a part of the crowd that shouted the words, Hosanna. You know, which means save me and and with the rest of the crowd. And they also heard those cries, you know, quickly turn from shouts of Hosanna uh, to Christ to crucify him. And so they were talking and and if I could just try and imagine myself listening in on their conversation, you know, three days after the crucifixion. I mean, can you just hear them saying, you know, I love to hear Jesus teach. Or or do you remember the time that, that he healed that man? Or do you remember how he used to stand up to the religious leaders and then, I but I can't, I really can't believe what happened. I mean, I really can't believe that it all just came to a sudden end. Now, notice how it says that Jesus came up to them. And there's a really good chance that they had followed Jesus around these last few years. And so they would have been familiar with his face and his appearance. But as verse 16 says, it says, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, how how did that happen? I mean, 
I mean, maybe Jesus is wearing contacts, you know, rather than glasses, you know, or, or vice versa. I mean, maybe a fake beard or something. I, I don't know. But, but they don't recognize Jesus. In, in fact, notice how the verse says that they were kept from recognizing him. I mean, God in some unusual, unique way is preventing them. He's keeping them from recognizing Jesus in this moment. Now look how Jesus plays it in verse 17. It says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Kind of gives us an idea how they were feeling in the moment. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. And then they start to explain it all to Jesus. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And then here's where they get real serious. And I just want you to see if you can imagine or you can hear kind of a sober, uh, honest tone in their voice. Verse 21 says, But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel And what is more, it has been three days now, it is the third day since all of this took place. We had hoped that He would be the one that would redeem Israel. You know, the word redeem has deep roots uh, in Israel's history. And if you're taking notes with us today, you you, you can write this down. The word redeem means to pay the price for freedom. Uh, The word redeem means to pay the price for freedom. It, It means to rescue. All right, I mean, these two are basically saying, we thought Jesus was the one. I mean, we finally thought that this was it, that Jesus was the one, that he was going to rescue us, that our hope was in Jesus, but our so-called hope, our our so-called hero was really crucified on the cross. And now it's the third day, and so it's Sunday now. Jesus had died on Friday. I mean, you read this for yourself, okay? And there's just some, some irony You know, in these words here, as you try and put yourself in the shoes of these two travelers on this road to Emmaus this day, because you think to yourself, how did they not see it? I mean, how was it that they were kept from recognizing Jesus in this moment? I mean, how did they miss it? And I can't help but think that, you know, maybe discouragement really kept them from seeing Jesus. I mean, maybe it was the discouragement that they had seen, you know, over these last few days and how it had set in. I mean, verse 18 again, look at this verse. It says, they they said, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? I mean, can you see them shaking their heads? I mean, can you see the frustration, you know, on their faces as they say this to, to Jesus these days? I mean, you know, discouragement can be a powerful thing, can't it? I mean, discouragement can take such a toll. It can take such an effect on us. I mean, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, because you're here with us this afternoon and, you know, in the middle of all the celebrating and all of the family get-togethers and the Easter egg hunts and, you know, your enthusiasm. While everyone's enthusiasm may appear to be really high, your enthusiasm is really low right now because you're thinking to yourself, you know, no one has any idea what I'm going through these days. Or you're sitting here, you know, this afternoon thinking to yourself, you know, no one has a clue how crappy my marriage is right now and what's going on in my house these days. Or does anyone have any idea that, you know, how close I am to a breaking point financially? I mean, can anyone understand how stressed out I am and how it's having an effect on me at work or in school, you know, these days? And for others, you know, discouragement isn't so much about maybe even what's going on in your personal life right now, but it maybe has everything to do that's happening, you know, around you. I mean, what's going on in the world these days, you know, with all of the fears of the ongoing financial crisis. 
Or when you think about how divided of a country we are politically right now. I mean, it's ugly right now, but just imagine how ugly it's going to get over these next six months. And then there's all the news about tornadoes and another earthquake and another murder and another kid disappearing, you know. And I mean, just watch the nightly news for a few nights this week and you can't help but think, you know, I mean, what's God up to? I mean, what's going on, you know, these days? And what happens is, is discouragement gets a hold in your life. I mean, as it takes control, it's not too long before discouragement can really lead to doubts. You know, one young man said it like this. I mean, writing in response to hurting and pain and suffering, he says, you know, this isn't a philosophical issue to me. This is personal. I won't believe in a God who allows suffering even if he, she, or it exists. Maybe God exists, maybe not, but if he does, he can't be trusted. You know, there are, there are so many tough questions out there today. We talked about some of these tough questions last week. We talked about, you know, the effects that disappointment with God can have on your life. And if you've missed that or you didn't get a chance to hear that message last week, I'd encourage you to go to our website and you can download that message from, from iTunes. But, you know, we were asking these tough questions of can God be trusted? Is he good? You know, why does he allow things to happen in this world as he does? I mean, tough questions. I mean, you've got them. You know, I, I've got some tough questions. And And when things turn, you know, don't turn out as we hope for. I mean, it's easy, you know, for our tough questions to lead towards discouragement and even uh, lead to doubts. I mean, is there an answer, you know, for every tough question that that we have or that we ask? You know, I I believe there is. But but here's the challenge. I, I also know that I'm not privileged you know, to, to know all of those answers, you know, to every one of those questions. You aren't either. And honestly, I'm pretty confident that every tough question that we have isn't necessarily going to get answered this side of heaven. But just because you and I, you know, don't have an answer to a really tough question doesn't mean there isn't one. You know, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have one, you know. And, and sometimes, you know, the tough questions that we ask, you know, uh, have to do with the fact that God allows free will. I mean, He allows free will to exist in this world. You know, God allows us to influence one another. And sometimes our influence can eventually lead to tragic consequences. You know, and there isn't always an answer. But, but look at it like this, you know. Knowing the answer, you know, to the reason that your mom died. I mean, it, it might give you a sense of hope. It might give you a sense of peace. But does it really, does it mend a broken heart? I mean, just because you had the answer, I mean, would it necessarily repair, you know, a broken heart? I mean, maybe you're here this afternoon and you're kind of like one of these travelers on the road to Emmaus on this day. And just like verse 21 says, when it says, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. I mean, again, notice those words, but we had hoped. I mean, notice that they're in the past tense, meaning that they had hoped at one time, but now they don't anymore. I mean, maybe you had hoped some things would work out a little differently in your life up to this point. You had hoped that you'd have a baby by now. Maybe you'd hope that you'd be married by now. You would hope that, you know, your mom and dad would work it out or that you would have found your way out of debt by this point. I mean, we all hope. And, you know, back to one of the questions we asked a moment ago. I mean, how did these two walkers here, these two power walkers, you know, how, how did they miss something so obvious? I mean, Jesus was standing right in front of them and they missed it. I mean, they're discouraged so much personally. I mean, they're doubting spiritually. And on top of that, I mean, a brutal execution of Jesus has them grieving over the loss of a friend, a significant loss. Here's what I think. I I believe that Jesus was their hope. They had put all of their hope in this man, all of their hope in in the hero. The prophets have been talking about the so-called Messiah, the rescuer, the redeemer. I mean, their hero. But all of their hopes were shattered 
when the hero went to the cross. And, and now the painful circumstances and the painful reality of their lives were preventing them from seeing the victory that was standing before them on the road on this particular day. And it happens like that for us too. I mean, when discouragement and doubts and, and death become a, a part of, of our life, the things that we see and experience, you know, I mean, any of these can get in the way and prevent us from seeing the hero Jesus, from seeing the victory that is standing before us. Because we ask, you know, I mean, heroes are supposed to rescue us from the pain, right? I mean, heroes are supposed to prevent the suffering, you know? But the hero was standing right in front of them and stands right before you and me today. And I mean, it's worth asking, does the hero have a weakness? I mean, is it possible, you know, that he's got his own sort of kryptonite, that in a, a strange sort of way that God has a weakness? I mean, I know that sounds a little funny to say something like that, but you know, in a crazy sort of way he does. I mean, his weakness is his love. I mean, his love, it's his love that prevents, it's his love that restrains him from forcing his way into your life. And that's worth keeping in mind because when discouragement finds its way into your life, when doubts begin to set in, you know, God's not going to give up on you. I mean, no matter what you face, he has never been absent, you know, from your life, you know. And it's not a sign that he's lost touch or that things are spinning out of control. I mean, and this is critical. And again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. God's not going to force you to love him. Our God will not force you to love him. And in a way, it's like his weakness. He could force you to love him, but that would undo the whole free will sort of thing. But instead, God's love won't allow him to turn you and I into robots that just simply say yes and do whatever God chooses for us to do. Because God wants a relationship with you. And God wants a relationship that is based on love. And because of that, he's not going to force himself on you. His love won't allow him to force himself on you. Even though he loves you and he loves me and he desperately wants to be loved by you, he leaves just enough room for you and I to respond to his invitation to have that relationship with him. You know, back to our text for today. And this is a real turning point in the story and a turning point for these two that were walking along the road to Emmaus with Jesus. And remember, they don't yet recognize who he is. And so they're on this walk, and, and Jesus is listening to their conversation. He's listening into everything that they're talking about, their feelings of discouragement, their feelings of doubt. He probably even listened you know, to their concerns about his own death, and there was probably even a real fear there that they would you know, eventually suffer a death like his too. But the story goes on, and just skipping ahead a few verses, you know, these three eventually stop for the night. And the Bible says that they all sat down at a table together where Jesus took bread and he broke it. And then look at what verse 31 says. It says, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And verse 33 continues, They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen. And I don't think they probably said it like that, but they probably shouted it. You know, it, it's true. I mean, he, the Lord has risen. You know, the, the heroes return. You know, here's what I've been praying for for you today. I've been praying for you and others have been praying for you even as you come today, whether you come here regularly, whether you attend another church and you're here with family today, whether you don't attend church and this is just something that you do maybe once or twice a year. I've been praying that today God would open my eyes and your eyes, that he would open our eyes to see the victory that is to stand before us in Jesus Christ. 
I am praying that He would open our eyes in such a powerful, God-only sort of way that you can see Him no matter what the circumstances may be in your life right now, no matter your reputation, no matter what your past may look like, no matter the hurt that you've experienced up to this point, that God cares, that you will see that God cares and that He loves you and that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, as your hero to rescue us. That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and that resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything for us. Here's what I want to do with just a little bit of remaining time that we have left. I want to introduce you uh, to a couple of families here at Genesis Church, and and I want you to hear uh, their stories uh, of how God has opened their eyes, you know, to continue living, to put their hope and their trust in Jesus. And I I want you to meet a family, I want you to meet a couple uh, that is finding their way through discouragement. And again, Jesus is opening their eyes to that. Um, Zach and Jen Smock attend Genesis Church. You can see their family here. They have two young kids, a little boy named Carter uh, and a little girl named Tinsley. Well, Zach enlisted in the Air Force back in the fall. And so in November, uh, he had to leave his family. He had to leave his wife and two kids for six months uh, to go to training in Texas. And we would all know, or maybe some of you have been there, that that's a pretty difficult separation, especially if you've got really young children involved. Um, This family, they know discouragement. All right, they've experienced discouragement. Jen writes it this way. She says, as you know, our family has gone through quite a bit since November. Everything from Zach leaving for the Air Force, our little boy Carter getting sick and needing surgery, finding out something might be wrong with his heart now, having to put our dog to sleep, and most recently me losing my job. There is so much we have dealt with. I I get a lot of people asking how we're managing through all of the difficult times and discouragement. And all I can say is that our faith, our God, continues leading us. She continues writing, When my dad passed away four years ago, it was a really difficult time for me. I I was pregnant. I had lost my stepmom a few years earlier. I'm an only child and had to deal with all of this as it seemed like the world was crashing in. At the funeral, the pastor preached something that has stuck with me since that day, and I think of always during difficult times. He preached Psalm 23, verse 4, which says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, it it comforts me. And and Jen goes on to write, she goes on to to share how the pastor explained that in this world, we will all have troubles. All right, Jesus said that, that we will all have troubles and that we'll all have to go through these valley sort of experiences like David is describing here in Psalm 23. And and these are unpredictable and these experiences are never convenient and and they never discriminate. All right, but they're temporary. And you can't isolate yourself from the pain that life is going to bring on you. And you can't isolate yourself from the sorrow. But that's why David, as she writes in Psalm 23, 4, says he walks through the valley and not around it. All right? You know, sometimes there's no escaping it. I mean, you know that. You just have to walk through it and you've got to keep your head up and and you've got to walk through it. But thankfully, she says, there's a beginning and an end. And it may seem like an eternity at the time, but the Lord is always there with us. And then Jen says, I look at it this way. These valley times are purposeful. These valley times are used to build our faith because the Lord is with me. You know, I can face these times confidently. It may still hurt, but knowing He is walking with me and comforts me uh, means a great deal. And she says, finally, I relate all this to what I'm dealing with today. Yes, I have moments when I break down. And then I think this is funny. I can't be superwoman when it comes to my emotions. But during these difficult times, I turn to God and I let Him lead. You know, Zach and Jen, Carter and Tinsley, they're a part of the Genesis Church family. 
And they know discouragement in their life. They know discouragement just like some of you might know and understand discouragement today. I mean, life has been a real challenge, but they are finding their way through discouragement because Jesus has opened their eyes to see. No matter how difficult it may become, no matter difficult life may be at times, that it is true, you know, He has risen. And because of Jesus, God wins over discouragement. You know, God can lead us through discouragement. And for those of you that are interested, Zach's going to be home later this month. And I know that his wife is really excited to see him, his kids too, and we've missed him too and are looking forward to having him back. But not only can God help us to find victory over discouragement, but he can win over our doubts too. You know, and when I think about doubts and when I think about the Bible, I mean, who's the first person you typically think of? We think about Thomas, right? All right, Thomas had a lot of doubts as the Bible explains. Well, in John chapter 20, Jesus had already risen from the dead and he was slowly making his way around, uh, making these appearances to people, much like he did here on the road to Emmaus. And so it's not by accident that Jesus chooses to go directly to Thomas after he has been resurrected from the dead. Now, Thomas was one of the 12, all right? He was one of the the 12 disciples and, and Jesus chose him. He chose him because he was devoted. He chose him because he had a lot of courage. But Jesus chose this guy who had a little bit of a reputation for being pessimistic. He chose this guy who asked a lot of questions, you know. He chose this guy, he chose Thomas, even though Thomas needed time and didn't jump to conclusions on things. And so word starts to spread quickly that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And in John chapter 20, verse 25, it says, So the other other disciples told him, they told Thomas, We've seen the Lord. And Thomas replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. All right, and a few verses later, you know, Thomas comes face to face with Jesus for the first time since his death. And and you can check this out for yourself later if you like. But here's what's so curious to me. Jesus doesn't rebuke him, even though Jesus had the reputation of rebuking those as necessary. He didn't raise his voice with Thomas. He, He doesn't get all bent out of shape or show frustration or show anger that one of his disciples has some questions and some really clear doubts. But what do we find? Instead, we find a Savior who is compassionate, We find a Savior who is patient. We see a Savior who doesn't come unglued because of some of the doubts and the questions that Thomas has. Instead, though, Jesus opens Thomas' eyes so that he can see it all for himself. And after seeing the wounds and touching those wounds with his hands, verse 28, Thomas replies, My Lord and my God, it is He. It's true. He's risen. You know, some of you are here today and you've got some real doubts. You've got some real questions about any and all of this. And and there are questions that you've been holding on to for a really long time. And maybe these questions are really preventing you from seeing, you know, seeing Jesus as seeing Him as our hero. Can Can I just tell you something? It's okay to have questions. I want you to know that it's okay to have questions. I mean, this church is full of people who have some real questions. I mean, I've got some real questions. I mean, I, I, I want to know why things don't always work out the way that they, I think they should or why things go as they do at times. And, and I don't understand why God sometimes answers prayer and sometimes He doesn't. And I don't know why some people seem to suffer over and over again. But here's what I've come to learn and what I think others are discovering too. It's okay to have questions. 
It's okay to have some doubts. I mean, our God is comfortable with your questions. I mean, He's not going to get bent out of shape by your doubts. And, and I'm reminded of what, you know, the famous English professor, you know, writer C.S. Lewis once said. I mean, he had some doubts. He had some real questions uh, about faith. He took extensive time to explore each of these as a way of trying to understand God and, and even if He existed or not. And in the end, he concluded that while he had not answered every question that he had sought out to answer, he discovered that it would take greater faith to not believe than to believe in God. I want you to know this afternoon that it's okay to have questions. And it's okay for you to have doubts. And, and no matter where you are today, and I mean, if this is your first time in church in a really long time, we want you to know that you're welcome here. And it's okay to come with those questions. It's okay to come with those doubts. But just take the time. I mean, really take the time to explore it for yourself, to ask of those questions, and see if you might not find a God who's willing to open your eyes to see that our hero, Jesus Christ, that He has risen. God wins over discouragement and doubt. The last thing is that God wins over death too. Um, some of you know I want to introduce you to another family that attends Genesis. Uh, some of you may know uh, Jamie and Sheena Chowning, and uh, they've got a five-year-old son, Mason, and they're a part of the Genesis family, and uh, Jamie and Sheena have been coming here for some time now, and uh, they were pregnant uh, with their second, and everything was going fine up until uh, Sunday, October 10th, 2010. Uh, Sheena was 22 weeks along when she started experiencing some complications and, and went to the doctor and, and found out that due to some things that were completely out of her control, that she would not be going home from the hospital. And what they discovered is that the baby would probably bo be born any day, and there was very little, if any, chance of survival at all for this baby. And so they cried. I mean, I mean, who wouldn't? And, and Sheena writes it this way. She says, you know, when I was alone in my room, I just couldn't help but ask why. I mean, why is this happening to us? I mean, to our unborn daughter and to our family, I wanted God to tell me what his plan was and, and why he would allow us to go some, through something like this. Well, Sheena spent the next few days comfortable in her room and as expected, at 23 weeks and five days, Emmeline Grace was born at one pound, eight ounces. And uh, her feet were no bigger than a AAA battery. And she was tiny. And, you know, I got to see her just after she was born. And, and she was strong from the start. And the family wept together on that very first day, thanking God that she was born and that she was alive and that she was fighting. And, well, she quickly became a new resident of the NICU of the hospital where she was and received the very best care. And for the next month, Jamie and Sheena uh, and their little boy, uh, um, Mason, you know, spent every day at the hospital, every day visiting Emmeline. And they always looked forward to it. And to the surprise of the doctors, I mean, Emmeline fought, you know, for a really long time, but, but there were some real challenges ahead with her heart and and they knew that the road ahead would be tough. And Sheena writes, we prayed every day that Emmeline would get stronger, but finally... Uh, the tragic turn came on November the 16th when the nurses called the Chownings and said, you need to get here right away. And friends and family came. Uh, I was there with them on that day. And the doctor said that it was probably time to say goodbye. And Sheena writes, you know, the doctors made Emmeline as comfortable as they could. And it wasn't until her last day that we got to hold Emmeline for the very first time. And it was the first time I was able to touch her skin. Emmeline passed that, away that day. Uh, one month after she was born, some of you have been there. Uh, some of you have been there in similar situations and, and know what it's like to lose someone so young or to lose someone at all. Sheena said it like this. She said, we hated what was happening, but we knew that God needed his angel in heaven more than we needed her here with us on the earth. 
We miss our daughter, Emil, and Grace every day, but we know that we will see her again one day. I can't share all of that with you without uh, sharing this. Um, Jamie and Sheena had their second little baby this past week. And a little boy was born to them, a little boy by the name of Kaylin Chowning. And um, I'm pleased to tell you that mom and baby and their whole family are doing really well. Well, life doesn't always go the way that we hope, does it? I mean, it doesn't always go as planned. I mean, Jesus told us, he said it very clearly, in this world you will have trouble. It doesn't matter whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, you will have trouble. And death hurts, you know, and de- death is hard. And, and, and please don't overlook, you know, the pain that this young couple, this young family experienced as I've summarized their story, you know, in just a few short paragraphs. And, and with a new baby now, I, I also realize and they realize that everything doesn't always work out like that either. But I think the key to their story is in Sheena's own words. When she says, we miss our daughter, Emily and Grace, every day, but we know that we will see her again one day. I mean, friends, that's God's plan. That's God's plan for you and for me and for this church and for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. God's plan for us is reunion. You know, God's plan for us is restoration. God's plan for us is new start and new beginnings and eternal life. You know, my prayer is that like Sheena and Jamie, and as their eyes were opened, that your eyes will be open to see that it is true that He is risen. You know, the resurrection, you know, Easter reminds us that our God defeated death. That our God, the hero, wins over death. You know, we're wrapping up the series today called Hero. And we, we all have, you know, different superheroes that we've rooted for, whether today or as a kid. You know, superheroes aren't real. But Jesus is real, you know, and he's not a a figure on the screen. He is not some legend made up for a book. Jesus is the real hero who became a real man, who lived a real life and died a real and agonizing death on this earth. And his death was real and his resurrection was real too. And because of that, the hero wins. You know, God wins. He wins for us. And that is why for me and for Genesis Church, you know, whenever there may be discouragement, whenever there may be doubts, whenever there may be death, we turn to verses like this one, which in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus, who made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. I want you to notice how it says, now crowned with glory and honor. You know, if you look back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it's really interesting because it very clearly says that Jesus Christ has gone back to heaven and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, we might look at a detail like that very quickly and not pay much attention to it, but any Jew who would read that, especially 2,000 years ago, to read that Jesus Christ, the priest, the high priest, was seated next to his Father, now crowned with glory and honor, that says something spectacular because Jesus was a priest. And up until this point, every priest prior to Jesus that worked in the temple, that worked in the tabernacle, never sat. Because the belief was that the work was never done. There was always one more sacrifice to be performed for the forgiveness of sins. But now, the great high priest, the only high priest that is worth following and serving today, Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand of the Father, crowned with all glory and honor because it is finished. The work has been done. You know, the hero has been crowned. He has earned victory for us all. And so my prayer for you today is this, that Jesus Christ like those individuals on the road to Emmaus, that he would open your eyes to see the victory that is standing before you in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I realize that this might not answer every question for you because there may still be some pain. There may still be some frustration. There may be some questions over why he or she left or why they rejected you. But no matter your situation, I am praying 
that God will open your eyes to recognize him, to see that victory is ours through Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate and why you can celebrate today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. And uh, thank you for these people, Lord, who have come. Uh, We thank you for the great news, the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the hero, uh, who has established victory for every single one of us. And God, I pray for those that are here today who know you as Savior and Lord, but need to be reminded here this afternoon that victory is ours because of your death and because of your resurrection, because you are alive today, now crowned with glory and honor, we can find victory in our life too. That our eyes can be opened to see us through discouragement. That our eyes can be opened to see us through our doubts. That our eyes can be opened to see us through any death that may come before us. God, would you encourage us in that today? Would you open up our eyes to see you and to see the victory? To see the victory that we have in Christ. God, I pray for those that have come here today that don't know you as Savior and Lord, that they've never experienced that that joy of having that relationship with you. They they haven't experienced eternal life. And as we pray, you know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask if maybe I'm describing you today. That, That you sit here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never received his love. You've never experienced his forgiveness in your life. If that's you, I want you to know today I'm speaking to you that that victory is yours through Jesus, that he has conquered death, that love, that eternal life, that forgiveness is available if you'll just receive him as Savior and Lord, if you'll just take him as the Savior of your life. If you don't know him today and you want to invite him into your life, I mean, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe just slip your hand up where you are right now, just as a way of saying, I need Jesus in my life, I want him today. He is opening my eyes today, and I am receiving that victory in my life today. You can do that wherever you are right now. You can pray this prayer with me. God, I need you. I take Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my hero. Forgive me of my sins. Change my life forever. God, we thank you for these prayers, for these commitments that are offered up to you. God, we pray that you would open up our eyes today to see all things. We celebrate you now as our Savior and Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.